Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Patriots Report. My name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. Today, I am very happy to be joined by Nicole Yang, a colleague who covers the Patriots for the Globe. Welcome, Nicole. I want to jump right into it here with the first question I ask everyone who comes on this podcast. What are your initial thoughts on the play of Mac Jones through the first five games of the season? Yeah, I think the Patriots should feel really encouraged by Mac through five weeks. I just did a story in the Globe today. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I had Mac in the good category. And I mentioned that if you look at the statistics, yeah, the Patriots offense ranks at the bottom in most categories, passing touchdowns, passing yards, red zone conversion, they're dead last. So it's not obviously... They're, this not, they're obviously not this offensive powerhouse. However, they should feel encouraged by Mac's ability as a game manager, as a passer. Yeah, we haven't seen as many downfield throws as maybe people would have liked, but I think it's still week five. He's still a rookie, and they should feel encouraged by what we've seen. And also, Bill and his teammates – have been extremely complimentary, which I think is a good sign too, because we know how guarded maybe Belichick can be with praising a rookie and things like that. And his teammates aren't shy either. I'm fascinated by the fact that you want to do everything you can, at least theoretically, to set a young quarterback up for success. That includes, you know, building an offensive line around him, building all of these skilled position guys around him. And it hasn't been perfect for him, but at the same time, I think he has done as well as could be expected through the first five games of his rookie season, given what's been put around him. And I'm not saying that these are personnel faults necessarily. A lot of them are due to injury. You know, this is, this is a young guy who's had to deal with a lot of struggles along that offensive line in particular. Yeah. And that's something else that I mentioned too, like Josh McDaniels, and I'm sure every offensive coordinator coordinator makes this point that the passing attack isn't just the quarterback, it's the route running, it's the protection, it's the play calling. And there have been some gripes about the play calling, like let Mac cook, for example, and things like that. But the offensive line obviously was a huge issue through four weeks. I think Mac was on pace to be hit more than any quarterback over the past decade through four weeks, which obviously is tough because when you hear opposing defenses talk about a rookie quarterback they always say like we want to pressure him like that's their goal anyway and then when you have a weak offensive line it just compounds that so I think he's handled it as best he's been able to and obviously the protection is important but the fact that he's getting hit has prompted a lot of his teammates to commend his toughness his positivity he never gets really that down he's always interested in picking up the team and things like that so I think he's handled it well how do you scheme that? How have guys talked about in, in, in some of the stuff that you've seen, how have you seen them try to scheme up some protections that might allow him for some extra time, whether it's, you know, stacking a tight end at the end of the line to help out, you know, whoever the backup tackle is there, him getting the ball out quickly. What are some things that you've noticed that they've been able to do to kind of minimize that pressure, minimize the struggles they've had in pass protection? I mean, one of his, one of the things that stood out from Mac throughout training camp was his ability to get the ball out like as soon as possible. So I think that's definitely an emphasis. And in addition to the offensive line, the Patriots lost their best running back at 
uh, blitz pickup and pass protection and James White. So I think there's additional adjustments there in terms of who can play. Um, Brandon Bolden seems to be the option that they've deemed the best, but we'll see if that changes throughout the season. But yeah, they do have the two tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, who I think Hunter lines up more as a wide receiver, but um, Johnny, they do have Jakob Johnson. So there are options for sure. But I think, um, I think the loss of James White is sort of a sneaky difference there too. Mm -hmm. Obviously his past um, production, like his receptions and things like that are easy to miss, but also in protection too. It's one of the more underrated things uh, about being a, a running back in that offense. And we saw it for a long, long time. Guys like Kevin Falk, who were able to not only be a real threat in the passing game, but also are able to kind of step up when it came to to blitz pickup. I want to shift gears a little bit here. What's been the biggest surprise for you when it comes to this team through the first quarter plus of the regular season? Has it been the play of Mac Jones? Has it been the performance of Matthew Judon? What what has been what what is one thing that stood out to you that maybe you didn't anticipate at the start of the season? I mean, Matthew Judon has just been fantastic. And I don't know if it's fair to say that people weren't expecting that. Like, I think people were anticipating he would be a big boost to the defense, but I think he's even exceeded those expectations. Six and a half sacks. You can't miss him on the field because of his red sleeves, but then he just, you know, goes at the quarterback too. So I think he's been fantastic and um, probably the biggest surprise just in terms of like the splash so quickly too, because obviously when the Patriots had so much turnover and added a number of new players this off season, the big question was, okay, they look really good on paper, but how long will it take for that to show on the field? And Judon's just wasted no time. I'm going to make a, a broad brush way too early premature statement here. And I want to get your take on this for years. We've seen guys on this defense who are maybe not necessarily outstanding statistically. And the first name that comes to mind is Teddy Bruschi, who is clearly the face of that defense for a long time. Right now, I think you can make an argument that that's Devin McCourty. Devin McCourty is the guy who's been here for a decade. You know, he's a coach on the field. He's an extension in a lot of ways of Bill. I think now that Devin has been here for 10 years and we see him getting a little bit older, I'm wondering if we're seeing this defense transition from a Devin McCourty defense to a Matthew Judon defense in terms of his leadership skill, in terms of his production, in terms of the fact that he's at the podium every week. And a lot of that is obviously because of his production, but at the same time, a lot of that, he seems like a guy who is a leader who's been there for, for years already. Definitely. And I honestly could have seen them naming him as a captain. They elected to just go five very obvious returnees and didn't really extend if if they had gone to eight, like they have in previous years, I could have seen them include him. But when you listen to the younger players talk, Josh Uche raves about Matthew Judon, Chase Winovich raves about Matthew Judon when they signed Jamie Collins. Devin McCourty was talking about how excited he was to see Jamie Collins and Matthew Judon interact. Like his name just keeps coming up, coming up. And then when he himself speaks to the media, he's so engaging. He was so, when he entered the press conference room after that win over the Texans I was shocked with just how he was bubbling with excitement over the win like he got to the podium and he was like freak like that was a great victory and the Patriots just usually try and keep everything 
everything so even keeled. So I was surprised that he sort of showed that emotion. And I think that speaks to just his leadership and how comfortable he is in the system. And that's something he's mentioned too, that he's just been himself mm-hmm. since he's got here. And he's really appreciated how much the team has embraced him. So I, I could totally see that he's on a four-year deal with McCordy Hightower sort of reaching, mm-hmm. getting older, I would say like, yeah. I like the take. He, he seems to be the kind of guy, and I put Adrian Phillips in this class as well, who it feels like he's been here longer than he has already. It feels like he's, a, and part of it is just because he's been a seamless fit. But as you mentioned, his energy, his excitement, the, the fact that he has kind of transitioned from a role in Baltimore to the one that he has here, it just feels like he's been here longer than he has, maybe. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, that would be an interesting story because I had the same thought about Adrian Phillips earlier this year. I was like, wow, he seems like he's been a Patriot for like six years. And it's he like this was our first year really getting to know him because of the pandemic. And you see other guys like I think Darrell Rivas had comments today that came out like I didn't enjoy playing for the Patriots. Obviously, you have sort of lesser known guys like Cassius. Well, who is that? Cassius Marsh. Yeah. Yeah, Cassius Marsh. And like outsiders and they talk about their experience Danny Amendola came out a little bit saying stuff so it's it's interesting though which where it works and then where it doesn't I I would be curious to dig deeper there yeah just to find that connection I I just it's been fascinating for me to see his sudden growth in the New England defense and to see how he's been able to play at such a high level in such a relatively short period of time I want to shift gears here a little bit and give me I want you to give me one guy who has exceeded expectations to this point in the season. And maybe it's Judon, even though, you know, the bar was set pretty high for him coming in. Uh, And maybe one guy who's underperformed a little bit. I I would submit that even though he played as well as he did last year, I would would put Jacoby Myers into that category in terms of guys who have overperformed because we saw him last year. It was almost a matter of necessity that he became the number one receiver by default but he's continued to play at a very high level through the first five games of the season. Um, and then I'd put in that other category, maybe Chase Winovich, a guy who's disappointed a little bit and maybe regressed, at least in my eyes. I'd be curious to get your take on who has overperformed and who has maybe underperformed to this point in the season. Yeah. Jacoby has really stepped up as like all reliable. Like mm-hmm. he just, he's not a splashy player. He still has yet to find the end zone was close on Sunday, but He just seems to be the guy, especially with James White out again, like a third down conversion guy just always seems to get open whenever he has a drop. If he's wide open, that's like shocking. So Jacoby definitely has been good. I I mean, I think it's tough because I think just the it's still so early and they're all still trying to feel each other out. Like I think Kendrick Bourne is trending in the right direction. I think Hunter Henry. And the pass catchers all seem to be trending in the right direction. I mean, I guess John o. Smith maybe might fall in the category of not performing at the um, at sort of the expectations for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a really tough game week three, I believe it was. So, but I'm still trying to exhibit like a little bit of grace just because it is so early and they're all sort of trying to figure each other out. Um, I think, in terms of more players that haven't performed. Uh, oh, actually, you know, for the, sorry, for the first one, in terms of someone who's exceeded expectations, Nick Folk, just a great the, one. Yeah. The fact that there was that kicking competition over the summer, he was dealing with an injury. I was like, it, he's almost going to be 37. You sort of just wonder 
what he had left. And he's been fantastic. The Patriots have had the most field goal attempts in the league, which is again, not a great sign for their offense, but he's connected on 14 of 15, including twice from 52 yards out. So that I think has been very important and a pleasant surprise too, just given the state that his career was at when the Patriots first brought him in in 2019, he was out of the league. So yeah, they found a nice little gem there. I liked your piece the other day in the wake of the Texans game where he was, he kind of felt, I don't want to say uncomfortable at the podium, but it was like, this is the, you know, this is, it's relatively new ground for him, but honestly, for a guy who's kicked as well as he's had over the first five games, maybe he should get used to being in the spotlight a little bit more. And maybe maybe this is a guy who deserves a little bit more recognition and appreciation for what he's done for this team in the early stage of the season. Definitely. Because he didn't even make the 53 man roster to begin with. Yeah. And I maybe kind of see what the Patriots are doing. Like I think Sunday had the most missed kicks in NFL history. I want to say, I think so. Yeah. Or at least close to it. Yes. Yeah. And so clearly players are, or teams are on the market for kickers. So if they released Quinn Nordine and he went to waivers, maybe they're worried about keeping him, but they, they definitely chose the right player to move forward with. And forward. they definitely did. They definitely did. Let, let's look at the weekend a little bit. Um, the Patriots face what I think is going to be their second, te- second toughest test of the season. Obviously Brady, the Bucks, the defending Super Bowl champs, that's one far and away. Give me a recipe for success this weekend. If you're new England, I imagine on the defensive side of the ball, it starts with slowing down Zeke Elliott, which is going to be a challenge given the state of that run defense and, and trying to bottle up Dak Prescott. Yeah. I, I mean, also, I think Jalen Mills has to be healthy as well, mm-hmm. just because if they are missing another cornerback, I think the secondary was exposed badly against Davis Mills mm-hmm. and Dak Prescott and Davis Mills are two entirely different quarterback. So I, I think that they, they need to be fully healthy in the backfield, but then, yeah, if they can't establish the run game, maybe it gives you a little bit more confidence there, but I, I think it's an interesting test because with the Brady game, yeah, the bucks might be considered a tougher op- opponent, but there are all of those emotions and things like that. Like, I think this will be a, a true test to see what the Patriots might be able to accomplish the season and whether we need to temper expectations and things like that. And I think people have already started to do that five weeks in, but after the Miami game, everyone was saying, Oh, they're one fumble away from being one and oh. And then when they want beat the jets, Oh, they were one fumble away from being two and oh. And then I don't know. I, I think this is a good test though, to see, um, just yeah, where what we should assess moving forward because their schedule is kind of tough over the next five weeks. So it, it's a good first gauge. One of the things that I always try and keep in mind, it, especially at this time of the year, it's I always try to remember it's never as bad as you think it is, and it's never as good as you think it is because it's so early on, and the season is so long. And this seventeen games this year, we're five games in. We've seen teams make the playoffs after starting one in five and having injuries and dealing with quarterback changes and stuff. And so I'm, I'm always reticent to kind of take the temperature of a team in September. And, and I, I appreciate the fact that you're being guarded about it as well, because it, it, look, this, there's a lot of football left to be played. And when you look at Belichick teams, traditionally, 
they spend the month of September trying to kind of figure things out a little bit, who fits where. And a lot of that, you know, you can reference back to Brady in those years and how, you know, they could kind of put their put put on the gas and just kind of blow through the second half of the season. But I see them doing a little bit of that here as well, figuring out who fits best where. And part of that's because of injury, part of that's because of scheme and matchup and personnel and all that. But it seems like this, at least in that regard, is pretty familiar for a Patriots team. Yeah, it, and it's been like a roller coaster because you see in week four, they're a missed field goal away from potentially winning that game. And then you head into week five, and yeah, the offensive line is missing four of their five starters, but it's the Texans, and they're down 22 to nine in the third quarter. And you're just like, what is happening? Like, is this team just totally cooked? Like, it, it's, it's, def- there have definitely been ups and downs. And so it, it's just so hard to, like you said, it's just so hard to really know um, what to expect each week. So, so what are we looking at this week? And, and I know we touched on a little bit, and this is one of the last matchup questions I have for you. What are we looking at this week with the offensive line? Obviously, it's still relatively early in the week as we sit here right now. We can kind of put Trent Brown off to the side, at least for now, because of the, you know, the IR designation. You kind of get a feeling, at least in the short term, that Karras and Ferentz kind of stabilize things along the interior a little bit, but how sustainable maybe is that moving forward? And what, what is this, what does this line have a chance to look like maybe come Sunday against the Cowboys? Yeah. I mean, I could see them putting Ted Karras in at left guard and then moving, assuming he gets activated off the COVID list, Michael Onwenu to right tackle to fill in for Trent Brown. That possibility had been raised throughout the first four weeks as well when Brown was out, but Bill didn't really seem to entertain it that much. I think Michael and Wenu should be available because he did actually let something slip after the Texans game. He was expecting that Michael might be back, which indicates that he is probably vaccinated. So enough time will have passed, but I I think that would be their best five players if they go that route. Um, and Michael and Wenu has experience at right tackle. That's what he played a lot last season. They just haven't gone to it, I guess, yet. Cause he himself had said he likes to play like at one position. He doesn't really enjoy the shuffling around. However, just given the state of Trent Brown, like the fact that he's on IR now and going to miss at least another two games, I think they might go for it just because of how well things went on Sunday too. Gotcha. I want to wrap up here with one specific journalism question that we talked a little bit about before we started. Everyone knows it can be difficult to cover this team under normal circumstances, but I have a lot of respect for you guys on a regular basis, even, you know, again, normal circumstances. I, I, it must've been really difficult over the last year plus to be able to cover this team because of the pandemic. It couldn't have been easy. My question really comes down to what are some of the changes other than zoom calls and you know the stuff that we see or we hear about on a regular basis have you guys had to deal with that had made your job particularly challenging and not just covering the Patriots but just covering sports in general I think it's just the type of coverage and the type of stories that you can produce because football analysis I wouldn't say is my wheelhouse necessarily I would rather be writing stories that sort of get to know the players. And these aren't like stories that involve two hours of unprecedented one-on-one access with the star player. It's just being able to go into a locker room and 
have a face-to-face conversation with someone about a topic that you would just never talk about in a press conference. And like easy examples I can think of are two years ago during the week, I just went around the locker room and asked each player to show me something that was important or like different in their locker. And that's just such an easy lift, but it's impossible to execute now. And I remember like Joe Cardona showed me his certificate from the Navy that says that he's like certified to check people's urine or something. So like he has that hanging on the door of his locker and yeah. So other people had like, I think Ben Watson had clay projects from his son. And so it's just a different way to get to know guys. I remember I did a story with the rookies about acclimating to the NFL and the loneliness they experience in their first year and things like that. And just those are topics that maybe they won't want to talk about in a large press conference setting. And it also feels unnatural to bring up in that setting. So I think it's maybe those types of stories that both the writers and fans miss out on because it's just, yeah, I I think it really limits the type of coverage that we can produce. It's all a lot more focused on what happens on the field because we just don't have an opportunity to have more private, intimate conversations with these guys. And yeah, you also just, we never got to go in the locker room with Cam Newton. Like you just don't know what the vibe of the team is. You can't see who's interacting with who, what music they're playing. You can't just watch. I don't know. I remember one time James Devlin and Landon Roberts like did a fake interview just the two of them like you you know what I mean just like moments on moments little moments like that were robbed of I suppose it it, it gives people I try and explain to people and look I understand the real world circumstances here and I understand being patient and I understand you know that there are new protocols in place but it provides a level of coverage beyond the surface that where you get to know them on a little bit more of a, of, of, you know, more of a closer basis, you know, closer. It, it, it can be difficult to be robbed of that. If you're a reporter, I understand completely what you're saying because there, there are instances I can remember over the years where you could pick up, you know, information from a player. You can make a connection with a player outside of the game of football that would open up a door to a new level of coverage. I remember talking to guys about playing Madden and I remember talking to guys about their families and I'm talking to, you know, you know, along the same lines that you had with the, you know, the Ben Watson thing. One of the stories that I really enjoyed though, kind of cutting through that, that you did over the last year or so was talking to Cam Newton's haberdasher, you know, <laughs> and those are the kinds of things that I think can still kind of, you know, make their way through even in these, you know, difficult times, you know, these, these challenging times for sports writers. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are ways you can try and talk to people like maybe close to the players as opposed to them themselves, but it, it's just tough. And you're also robbed of just those like short interactions that um, you can gauge their mood or how they're feeling or who's in the locker room a lot, who's not, who mm-hmm. likes to talk to the media, who doesn't like it just, better informs your opinion on the team, I think, and your perspective on the team overall. But I do have a list of notes or story ideas for if we ever do get back in the locker room. So hopefully that happens soon. Fingers crossed. Well, Nicole, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Keep up the great coverage of the team. Where can people get in touch with you? What do you got going on? Anything you want to promote these days? Yeah, I mean, subscribe to the Boston Globe. You can also read Chris's work there and the rest of our colleagues. And if you also enjoy the Boston Celtics, I host a podcast with 
Tom Westerholm and Chris Grenham called the Genotime podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. So feel free to check that out as well. Awesome. Nicole, thanks again. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and hopefully we can hook it up down the road later this season. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.